G'day and welcome to another instalment of the Fly Fishers podcast. Since 1967, we've been spreading the bug of fly fishing at our Melbourne fly shop. Join us as we celebrate the fun of fly fishing and chat with characters that enjoy it as much as we do. Whether you're just starting out or have some experience, we hope our ego-free commentary helps demystify fly fishing and inspires you to visit new places and try new techniques. Just back from his maiden voyage across the ditch and still buzzing about those big North Island rainbows, Peter shares his experiences, thoughts and advice on all things New Zealand. This bespoke insight into the deconstruction of a seemingly daunting fishery is sure to decipher the ins and outs of your next trip. Peter, welcome. Thanks, Damien. I, de- I definitely am still buzzing. Peter, welcome to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Put together by Peter. <laughs> Interviewing <laughs> Peter. Just another few hours to listen to my own voice when I edit this. It'd be lovely. No, but other side of the table today. I know. Not asking the questions this week. I like a bit of role reversal sometimes. <laughs> but you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, you've just had the, the trip of a lifetime, New Zealand. Um, been on the cards for a little bit. Uh, let's maybe start with what made you want to go there to start with. Like what was it that uh, allured you to New Zealand? I think it's always, so ever since I started fly fishing, it's like you see New Zealand trophy fish destination like everyone sees it, but then being in the shop and at certain times of the year, every second customer is heading to New Zealand makes you want to go there. Yeah. Because it's that good. You speak to Max, he goes there every year. He's been there 30, 40 something times, you know. It's just, it sounds so good and so accessible for us. It's four hours to go to any other major trout fishing destination. You basically have to get to the other side of the world. Yeah. But to jump on a plane from Melbourne... Four hours, it's not bad to get to Auckland. Was that a bit of a realisation? Do you think, like, first you hear New Zealand and it's like, oh, I'm never going to get there or, like, it's, you know, just international travel in general at your age almost doesn't seem obtainable. But then when you actually sit down and go, oh, it is only four hours, oh, I can get there for, what, 600 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's it's very affordable. Mm. The cost of living is basically the same same as here. Um, on the ground, um, high cars are relatively cheap. You you scratch together your big expenses and you're still under two grand, really, Yeah, if you're splitting it with someone. Yeah, so it's really not a great deal more cash than, say, going to Tassie. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah, oh, especially if you're getting the boat to Tassie, it's way cheaper. Yeah. Like, if you put your car in the spirit, you're up for a fair bit of dosh these days. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, the, you know, the colour of the water or the lack of, let's just, because it's so clear. Yeah. Like, that... The size of oh, the fish. clear water, big fish, uh, very, very big fish. Diversity of fishing too, um, but I think it's the fish size mainly that that yeah. is what attracts you. Yeah. I think the clear water thing is a bit of a misconception. Yeah, more so on the North Island. There is very, very clear rivers on the North Island, but a lot of the water would be the same clarity as you know the Taggarty or the Stevo in the middle of summer. There's always a little bit of colour in them. Yeah. Which is kind of good sometimes when you're fishing to spooky fish, but for sure we'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it hard for you to decide between the north and the south? Talk us through that decision process. Well, for me, not really. Um, I think I've heard a lot and reading Flystream, your articles, 
talking to a few other people how good the North Island really is and how little pressure there is on the North Island. That's what really swayed me to go there. I was travelling with Forbes, who also works here. He really wanted to go to the South Island. But the South Island seems like it's getting quite busy. And for our first trip to New Zealand, fishing a completely different way on bigger rivers, I thought the North Island's a good sort of place to go and cut your teeth and, you know, get used to those bigger rivers. Probably worth mentioning that with the volume of people that we have coming in that are visiting New Zealand, probably 90% of them are going to the South Island. And of that 90%, 50% are coming back and reporting just how bloody great their trip was. But then the other 50% are complaining about the volume of, of traffic, fly fishing, you know, traffic on those rivers. So it is something that you were probably hyper aware of when it came time to choosing which island you were going to venture to. Absolutely. Um, that feedback from customers, definitely. Uh, the day backcountry day licences and things like that, the cost of the licensing in the South Island, um, all those sort of systems just made planning seem a little bit harder. Um, we went for 18 days too, um, which is a very decent amount of time. And we were thinking about splitting it over two islands, but it just seemed better to just sit on that North Island and really have the time to break it down. And I think the more I researched the North Island, the more I realised there is equal water in the North Island to fish yeah. as the South. Do you feel like you sampled the whole of the North Island while you were there? Uh, trout fishing wise, I think I got a fair taste of it. We sk- basically skipped Hawke's Bay just because of the cyclone that had been through there. Um, but yeah, we I think we got a good taste of the variety of fishing it has to offer. We didn't do any saltwater stuff, but that's quite fantastic, I've heard. Do you think you left enough water on the plate, like water you haven't seen, to want to go back and visit a different part of the North Island? Absolutely. I feel like I could go to another 18 days there and not fish the same river again. Yeah. Like the uh, you said to me before you left when we were looking at maps, you wonder how the place floats. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just water everywhere and um, the information on it's so good. It's mm. not like super like go here and you'll catch a fish, but it points you in the right direction and leaves enough to be desired mm. to get out and explore. And I think New Zealand's one of those fisheries and destinations that's really suited to the angler that wants to adventure and explore and, you know, find their own water, find a way to walk into this river. Mm. I think you going unguided is another big thing that could have changed your research and preparation for your trip. Do you reckon, you know, being self-guided and finding your water on your own sort of changed where you went and how you did it? Yeah, unguided. I didn't pay for a guide. We didn't pay for a guide the whole time, but we did have lots of guidance from Flystream, uh, online resources, everyone here at the shop. You know, Andrew's been a number of times. Max, um, the boys at Manic were just unbelievable. They put together a whole itinerary for us, basically, <laughs> which was just the best. Um, so thanks, guys. Um, I think it did probably shape the... No, I don't think it left us at any disadvantage. Mm, I think yeah. that's a big thing because most people, you know, they go on their trip and they need the guidance or they feel like they need it. But there's a lot of information out there and asking the right people can give you access to a lot of special water. Well, it depends what you want to do, I think. Yeah. Like if you want to fly in there, be catching fish from the first day till 
the last day, weather permitting, a guide's probably the smart thing to do, especially yeah. if you're pressured with time. They'll probably pick you up from the airport. They'll drive you around. They'll take you to the cafe in the morning. Yeah, it's a low-stress, easy trip. Yeah. Everything that, you know, all the, uh, you know, the potential bad things that might happen in a fishing trip are just, that, that never happens on a guided holiday, you know. It's, yeah. No, it just completely goes out the window. I, I quite liked it because it leaves a lot of flexibility to you. So it's like when you're fishing with a guide, they might have you planned out to bounce around to four or five different rivers in a couple of days, whereas it's like we pulled up on one river and we're like, we're not leaving for three nights. <laughs> like mm. it's that good. I feel like if we had a guide and they were trying to whisk us around, it'd be a little bit hard. Yeah, and that uh, having to think about where you're going is it puts you in a completely different mindset. I feel like it, uh, quite often on a guided trip, it's just like, oh, do, 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 do. Like you're in a fairy <laughs> Yeah, land. you, you are. are. It's no, you like are. You're, just, you're on someone else's journey almost, you know, because part of the attraction to fly fishing and the reason we do it is that exploration component of it. So I think when you've got time on your side, like you guys had with 18 days, it is the exact way to do it leverage on the people that you can to give you the guidance um but you've got time on your side so if you do fuck it up dare i say uh you've got a fallback you've got options because you've done your research um but yeah i encourage any of our customers to put that leverage on us behind the counter ask the right questions you know uh, anyone that you know that may have been to these locations before you should be leveraging that and using it to your advantage and fly fishers are generally very willing to share when it comes to travelling to a destination, especially when you're going there for the first time because you seem so keen about it. If you show a lot of enthusiasm about it, yeah, pe- it's you're going to feed off each other. It, it is, yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, I went there for the first time when I was 20 and I'm now 60 and I've been going there for the last 40 years. Yeah, You know, it's, it's such a great way to really learn about the destination and you know tap into people's secrets or the lesser known spots yeah that you might not normally hear about and you touched on it before but the boys at manic they they looked after you yeah and i'm sure they'd look after anyone too yeah like they really do care about their <laughs> they're just gonna get bombarded by people <laughs> no no bombard us bombard <laughs> us yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah we well, you know now so cool yeah us. yeah um but yeah you were lucky enough to visit them whilst in Auckland when you yeah. arrived? Yeah, we arrived in Auckland and we spent a night in Auckland just to get the car ready, unpack everything. And then the next morning we went and visited Manic in their warehouse slash offices and it was so cool. Obviously, for people that don't know, Manic Tackle Project, uh, the distributor of Sims. They're the, they're the second best fly fishing business in Australasia. <laughs> <laughs> Language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Demo. Demo. That's enough out of you. Edit. 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 <laughs> There's normally a bell or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was priceless. <laughs> we will edit that out though. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Yeah. Second best. Second best. Yeah, and they distributed Sims. Uh, they designed the primal rods, uh, fly lab reels, Scott rods, Able reels. They're awesome. As well as the uh, social media stuff they do, their website's a great resource. They're, they're fantastic. They're a very important part of the fly fishing fabric, I yeah, think, in, they, in Australia and New Zealand. They help 
add to that community or yeah fly fishing fabric such a good way to put it yeah yeah absolutely um so you probably should give them a bit of thank you absolutely yeah <laughs> not as much thanks as i should have given them <laughs> sorry boys it's it's in the pipeline <laughs> damo is going to do all your your work half of you. it 50 percent. 50 percent. 50 percent. 50 percent. um yeah renee was great james was great um plus they got all their manic mates too which they can you know relay back yeah information from them which is really good they got their yeah, finger on the pulse they do they? absolutely they're a, they're a genuine fly fishing business they are doing yeah. it for the same reasons we are that we fucking love fly fishing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no that's right um yeah so they drew us a very detailed map and laid out a nice itinerary um we got there and they they kind of really clarified what we were going to do where we went. So, like, our first plan was to head to Rotorua and we thought we'd be stream fishing, but we ended up fishing lakes mm. and canals, um, which was really nice. And we sort of stayed in touch with them a little bit through the trip and updated them on where we were going. And they gave us some tips on, like, night fishing with lumos and things like that, which was, you know, those techniques that are so – or quite unique to New Zealand. Yeah. I guess coming from Australia. Yeah. Was that – in your research, what uh, what were things that resonated with you that you heard in your research, research chatting to people? Like what – were you like, oh, really? Like, oh, okay. You know, that technique's different or, yeah, that that's an item of gear I didn't – think i'd need or anything that springs to mind i think depth like getting your flies down yeah i'm like oh i know i need to get down but like you need to get down it's it's no joke mm. um like double split shots double beaded flies like we were looking for the heaviest flies in our boxes basically for some of the fishing yeah um the velocity of water in some of those rivers is just next level yeah velocity of water and the depth yeah combination is crazy um the there was a few things that i found in my research and that people had told me that got completely contradicted yeah which is that's I, good i, I kind of loved it a little bit because yeah. it's like oh this is cool like you know mm. it's not just like this yeah um because so it's it such still a pays to be an adaptable fly fisher regardless of how how many ideas you have going into it yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. and that's why you should fly box should have a thousand different patterns in it because you just don't know what it's going to be and keep in mind you can't find all the patterns you need over there for new zealand right because you'll try a technique that you use in australia and it will work so well over there mm. you go to buy the flies when you run out of them and you can't buy them <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, I yeah access to good gear over there i reckon is more limited than it is here yeah we're very lucky here yeah. in australia and i think we take it a bit for granted too i think so yeah it's probably just that the general fly fishing australian public are more willing to buy quality stuff rather than compromise whereas yeah. the kiwi market i think are more just run and gun just go for it you know and it, it doesn't matter yeah what it costs or i think the fly fishing over there is a bit more like conventional fishing here yeah. everyone fly fishes over there you know buy a fishing rod you get a fly fishing rod yeah so it's like here, you can go get a half-decent spinning outfit for like 250 bucks, mm. and you can go catch fish. Over there, you do the same thing with a fly rod. Yeah. But that's what they'll settle for. 
Yeah. Whereas we have an appreciation for good gear in Australia. Yeah. And it does make your fishing more enjoyable. Absolutely it does. Yeah. What gear did you take to New Zealand? Oh, what didn't I take? Um, maybe we'll start with rods and reels first. That was a big duffel you had. Mate, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> let's start with that. That That's probably the best one to start with. I started with the Sims Dry Creek. 155-litre duffel, the big orange one with the big flaming Sims logo on it. It's really good because when it comes on a, out on that conveyor belt at the airport, you know which bag's yours. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody Every, knows. Yeah, yeah. everyone's yeah. bag. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, my God, who's the idiot this with the fluorescent one. orange bag? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that because... You must have special needs. <laughs> I do, I do. No. <laughs> Shit. This is going to have some heavy editing. Um. Yeah, so I took a big duffel bag. I like that duffel bag a lot, whether it be going to Tassie uh, anywhere, because you can put ten foot rods in the bottom of them, bottom of them, quite easy. And it's a soft bag, so when you put it in the car or in a boat, it collapses down. It doesn't take up space like a hard bag does. Um, in saying that, it might not be super protective for some things, but if your rods are in their tubes, no problem. No problems. Yeah. yeah, it's also waterproof too, which is really nice, and just bullet like it i treated it like i dragged it through the airport because i couldn't find a trolley and it was fine you know forbes wouldn't grab the other end to help me carry it so <laughs> um i took that stuff in it anyway yeah yeah, yeah. You, don't, you don't take forbes along to carry your bags no 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 you take him along so he can put stuff in your bag <laughs> yes. didn't you get home and you had like half his stuff i still in got your it bag? yeah i still got it still yeah. got it of course yeah, yeah. Um, one hiking shoe, he's got the other one. <laughs> Boots, waders. Boots, waders, yeah. tent. <laughs> I just forget about that until he really needs that shoe because he yeah. won't remember and then he'll go to grab it and put it on and be, yeah. It's the other one. Yeah, no, he, he mentioned it to me the other day. It's probably my fault for not dropping it back, to be honest. Oh. Well, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Is you, you're a good friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so duffel bag, very good. We've spent a lot of time talking about a duffel bag. Yeah. But it is that good. Like I take it to Tassie all the time. And yeah, uh, yeah it is outrageously big, but it's good because you roll it down and it's not so big You can anymore. compress it. It's yeah. got a an adaptable capacity. It does, yeah. And you're right, it's got the compression straps and it's also got an adjustable strap that you can carry it next to your body or adjust it out to a shoulder strap. So it's not like you have to worry about clip, clipping it on and off. Yeah. Um, and it's zippable and lockable as well, which I'm the paranoid traveler. I always lock my bags. Like I'm just that guy, <laughs> you know? Um, it's because you're Greek. It's because I'm Greek. That's right. <laughs> it's just that peace of mind, you know? I don't go so far to wrap it up in plastic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Only when going to Bali. Yeah, only when going to Bali. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so I love the duffel. I took a Sims Dockwear backpack as well that was super good for carry-on. Like, it's the perfect size for carry-on. You can fit clothes in there, laptop. Uh, I've had a massive Bluetooth speaker in there. Uh, just some real weird stuff. Um, but it's, like, open enough that you can shove packing cells in there, but it's also got little pockets that you could slip your passport and things packing into. Packing cells? <sighs> yeah, my Sims guy? GTS yeah. packing cells. Oh, my goodness. You're that well organised. Mummy packed them. <laughs> no, I was no. going to say, yeah, he did pack his own bag. No, no, that's one thing I will point out, though. Being organised on a trip is actually pays dividends when you're on the ground because mm. when you're rearranging the car, everything's in a bag. Yeah. So you can just move it around. Yeah. It's not like you're unfolding clothes, folding them back up. Yeah. It's fantastic. One point I – jeez, we are talking about this bag a lot, but yeah. – 
for you've got to be you've got to have a certain level of fitness to be able to lug a bag like that around different areas. Not Once you reach Andrew Fuller's age, I wouldn't be taking. That See, bag I'm a roller me. bag guy now. I've reached that. Yeah, age. exclusively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not lazy. I'm just. You know, can, I don't want to break my back. No, and I'm lucky. I've got a roller bag and I've got a duffel bag. And I must did. be nice. <laughs> oh, it's courtesy of you, mate. It's half chewed oh, by the head. dog, and one of the zips don't work. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Steve Milner, for fixing yeah. it up. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's certain applications like getting in that higher car. We didn't have the biggest car in the world. It just yeah, so good, and when you're going on boats too, people don't like you to have rigid bags because yeah. quite often storage on boats is all over the shop. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was they're the two bags I took. Took a hiking backpack as well, um, and within the bag, what gear did we have? All right, the new Sims G three boots. Massive shout out to the boys at Manic. They got me a pair early and a pre production sample. It was incredible. They are, I, I don't know how to explain it. The way they hold your ankles, it's just like, it's just so stable and sure. And the, the sole feels like a platform. Like you feel like you've got your own platform to stand on in the river. Oh, wow. Yeah. It that sounds luxe. It is, it is luxe. It's like you're sure-footed. Yeah. Um, the grip was good? The grip was good. Yeah, that Vibram sole gave a lot of grip. I didn't have studs in just in case like we've got in the chopper and stuff. And, yeah, you know, you never know if you're getting in a boat. Like... Mm. Where's where's the trip going to take you? Yeah, um, so they were great. If you put studs in, and they would be unstoppable. But mm. I didn't feel like I was missing out without studs. Um, they still remain, even though they are leather, they still remained fairly light when they were wet, and they dried out pretty quickly too. Like obviously, your gear's meant to be dry coming back in Australia. We just chucked them in the boiler room at our accommodation overnight, and the next day, and they were dry. Yeah, wow. Like, fantastic. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's just those little things in gear that mm. that really make the difference when you're travelling mm. that you really need to think about. Yeah. Um, then the Sims G3 guide waders, fantastic, no complaints, been wearing them for a while. Breathable, dry quick, like crazy quick. Yep. Um, the it, the tippet tender pouch that comes with it and the pockets, I filled up that tippet tender pouch literally with my tippet. Mm. As fantastic CNF chest pack on top of that. It's all I needed. And it pack light travel far really comes into play in New Zealand when you're doing big days on the river. You don't want heaps of bulky stuff slowing you down because you get to the end of the day and it's like, I'm knackered, you know. So did a lot of walking every day? Uh, yeah, a lot of walk. Not every day. Definitely not every day. But, mm. like, we did a chopper trip, which we'll get into later, but I did a lot of walking on that one. But just long hours in the river, you know, like yeah. you might, like Australia too. Mm. You know, anything that reduces fatigue is going to allow you to fish longer. Yeah. And there's always another bend. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you don't want to run out of energy on your holidays and completely mm. implode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of raw, yeah, waiting gear, that's what I took. Rods. Rods. Um, Vision Onki 6'8", 10 foot. Yeah, and a Orvis Helios three D six weight nine foot. Cool. I will admit, I fish the Vision Onki ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, is that because it's a ten foot? Because it's a ten foot, very forgiving on lighter tippet. Not that I was fishing super light, um, but yeah, the ten foot rod allows you to manage 
longer leaders a bit better because you are fishing rid- not ridiculously long but quite long leaders when you've got an indicator on like a new zealand strike indicator on with split shots you do want to have that length and even with the 10 foot rod i was having that indicator in the guides because of how long my dropper was yeah good because like certain pools the fish like the pool seems endless like mm. you could drive a semi truck in there and it'd disappear yeah. <laughs> like, yeah you know but that's what we did to get the bites um and yeah that onky was good probably a bit undergunned once you get right out long range with a big rig on probably my casting but it just felt like it was a bit sloppy um i was running a scientific anglers and adro indicator the way it's the way the weight's distributed in it, it's quite a long belly fly line. Yeah. So it it's really not that bad. It's no. not like all the weights, like that Titan taper where it's distributed right to the front. It's quite long. It's only when you've got like the whole head length, which and the head length. Oh, it's cr- is, oh, I, yeah. Abs- I don't know the number, but it's absurd. I think it's close to 60 feet. Yeah. And so it's uh, like at 60 feet, you have got two and a half line sizes heavy, but... When yeah. you're not at 60 feet, it's, yeah. Yeah, but still direction changes at 60 feet well, were very much agile. possible. It's yeah. agile. Yeah, yeah, it isn't. It's, it's, it is the most agile line though. And mendability too. Mm. But like huge mending in New Zealand. Never, never imagined I'd have to mend so much. Yeah. But it's like from the minute that your fly line lands, you're. And yeah. um, the hive is colour on that. How did you feel about spooking fish because of a, a fluorescent coloured fly line? I don't think I spooked a single fish because of my fly line. I think maybe once, but it was definitely like every fish was spooking, even off Forbes's camo tip. Uh, infinity. That's the thing. I, th- I kind of feel like regardless of the colour, if you put a fly line over the top of a trout, it's probably going to spook it. And the contrast between fluorescent green and a bright crystal blue sky, mm. it's not huge. No. That's <laughs> <laughs> all. Yeah. If anything, a black fly line against a... Yeah. completely crystal blue sky. I think that's a bit of a misconception. Yeah. You know, this dying fly lines and things like that. Yeah. I think it's yeah. been debunked now. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, there'll be people out there that will strongly disagree and all power to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, love the Helios 3D. Nine foot, six weight. Great rod for when I needed power. But I quite liked it for quick dry fly presentations mm. or like single streamer fishing. That's what it was really good for. Yeah. Like throwing, I uh, fished your Sink 30 cold mm. for in swinging like massive size two flies in the canal. Cool. And that for that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then you need a, and you're fishing heavy, heavy tippet. Like, mm. I don't know, 12 pound tippet. Not sure the diameter, maybe heavier than that even. It doesn't really matter yeah. how much hurt you put on those fish. Uh, I did see some footage of you. With your onky trying to <laughs> net a trout. Did you see this too? There was no net. There was no net. That's why it looked like There that. was no net. Yeah, so on the helicopter trip. Sounds like an excuse. To, I, I saw a net. Yeah, I saw a net. No, there wasn't. No, 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 no. A beautiful McLean's way net in a nice orange. Nah, there's, there's no net in the video. We'll post a video on social media for everyone to have a look at. Leave your thoughts in the comments. And I will probably have to resign as soon as it's posted. (laughs) This is a testament to how strong the onky is, though. (laughs) If it doesn't break in Peter's hands, it's an exceptionally strong rod. Yeah. That's what we're trying to say. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He was putting bends on that rod that it was never intended to, you know, or designed to do. No. No, it wasn't. Um, But anyway, all's well that ends well. Yeah. 
Um, do you think maybe I, like I've I'm in love with my blackout nine and a half foot five weight, as you know. Mm. Do you think maybe that nine? Did you ever feel that the ten footer was too long? As in that case, when you're trying to net a fish or land a fish, do you think maybe that nine six is the perfect length for bigger water where you are mending line? Yeah, I think it is the perfect length, and I think anyone in New Zealand will tell you that. Yeah. Um, watch watching a video with Renee earlier, nine and a, nine and a half foot is ideal. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I'm so used to fishing that onky that I'm aware of it. Mm. You do adapt, but I think nine and a half foot is better. Like those streams that flow into Rotorua, Lake Rotorua, like the Nongataha, are quite overgrown and a 10-foot rod there was just a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that nine and a half foot, just the versatility would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Damo, have you got any other gear-related questions for Peter? I think the big one is how many rods did you take? Because often people come in, you know, planning on taking one rod to New Zealand and if you're going away for 18 days... You really want to be taking two, possibly three. I would not take one rod to New Zealand. You that, did only take two, though, didn't no, you? I took three. Three. I took three, um, but I would have been stuffed. I, I think I'd, in an ideal world, not on the student budget, I would have had – so it, I'll start with what I took. I took a, the two six-weights and I took a four-weight 10-foot vision nymphomaniac as a dry fly slash euro rod. Didn't use it once. Mm. Yeah. Didn't use it once just because those fish fight like crazy. And I didn't feel the need to euro nymph or, yeah. you know. You're catching enough. I was catching enough and quite content with the way I was fishing too. Good. Um, yeah, in an ideal world, I'd take those two six weights and I'd probably chuck a five weight in there too, just as a dry fly or dry dropper rod. Mm. Probably a faster five weight. Um, like I think something like the Helios 3D five weight would be good yeah um but then again a sage trout ll would be probably ideal (laughs) so take a lot of rods take a lot of rods (laughs) yeah no like seriously if you can afford it take it Mm. why not rods weigh stuff all Mm. to put in your check-in for sure yeah any other gear one piece of gear you wouldn't travel without um this is a question I wanted you to ask me. Now I've completely forgotten the answer to it. I've just completely mentally blanked. That was no. a great question, Damo. Yeah, no, it's it, – uh, yeah. Well, well, well thought. Yeah, no, I honestly, it would be that McLean's way net <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't take on the helicopter trip. Oh, sure. God, really? Yeah, because Forbesy had his. But when you decide to split up and go fishing, yeah, it's oh, – oh. Always carry your own yeah, net. Yeah, always carry your own net. And you're not someone that's taken a net fishing really ever. No, I hardly take a net fishing. You I'm didn't even own a net before the trip, did you? Yeah, I did. Jesse had to make the, him buy the one. big snapper net. The, the snapper net, my competition net. That's your dad's net. <laughs> That's, your old man's squid net doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, that McLean's way net with the way function in the handle is awesome for New Zealand mm. because you hear about ah, caught plenty of eight pounders and ten pounders, and mm. you know ah, you catch three pounders all day, but. When you can actually weigh them, you know what a four-pound fish looks like. And sometimes you surprise yourself. Mm. Sometimes you'll think, ah, yeah, three-pound, it'll tip four easy. Yeah. It goes yeah. both ways sometimes. Yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And deadly accurate too. Yeah. The lie detector is necessary. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good good, good way to put it. Because otherwise there is no standard. No. You know, no. like if it's just a, oh, it's a, about four pounds, like, don't you want to know for sure? 
Yeah. So that when you get a five pounder, you know that it's actually bigger than the last fish. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's just good to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, in my rant. That was a rant, wasn't it? It you don't was. get many of them from me. I think. <laughs> must be Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on. Yeah. Uh, travel cost, accommodation, and transport. Ooh. It's a bit of a big one, but I think often the daunting thing for New Zealand can be just the cost, the upfront. Yeah, the upfront, as I mentioned at the start, wasn't that bad. Um, I'll start with like the absolute necessities. Flights were about eight hundred bucks, which is a fair bit, but we flew like nice, nicer airlines. We could have gone cheaper with Jetstar, absolutely. But I'm I'm such a princess when it comes to traveling, <laughs> <laughs> like absolute princess. Um, hire car for eighteen days with a like a station wagon type car was eight hundred and fifty dollars each, which is nothing. Bargain. Uh, bargain. Mm. Use no fuel, mm. which is what you want to consider. Like, sure, get a big Prado or something, but you're going to chew through the juice. In New Zealand, It's the petrol's expensive. You don't think you compromise on access to some places not at all. a two-wheel drive vehicle? There was not a single spot we went to fish that we couldn't get to without a two-wheel drive. That's or, good. That's good to know, you know, that you can, oh, yeah. All we were told, oh, don't go here unless you've got a four-wheel drive. Mm. Not once. Yeah. yeah. And you just walk everywhere in New Zealand. It's, it's so nice. Mm. <laughs> you know, walking to the river is half the fun. Mm. Yeah. Um, but you can pull up on the side of the road and fish over there. Absolutely. Um, accommodation costs is kind of hard to quantify. You can spend $0 on accommodation and free camp everywhere. Um, but uh, we stayed in a few hostels. That's like 30 bucks each night. And, like, hostels in New Zealand are awesome because they're in, like, the, like, wilderness areas. And it's like you're there with a bunch of other outdoor people and it's great and they're keen to hear about fly fishing and things like that. Um, it is nice to have a shower every now and then. So, like, checking into a caravan park and paying for a campsite there, mm. it's good. I'd reckon, I reckon average cost of accommodation a night per person was about 40 bucks. Jeez, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, that's because we camped some nights for $0. But, yeah, it, it was cheap. Yeah. The free camping, where it, did you – how did you find the campsites? Is there somewhere you can uh, do your research so you know where to camp? Yeah, the dock website's really good. Okay. Some of the dock sites you have to pay for. Um, Wiki Camps, which is an app you can get. Incredible, invaluable Wiki Camps. I'll say it again. It's just the best. For Australia too, you want to find – Fishing spots and camping spots in Australia, Wikicamps is the best. Mm. It's so good because it gives you the whether or not you can get in there with two-wheel two drive car, if there's dunnies or not, if there's water, uh, fire pits, how many sites there are, recent ratings and reviews. So good. Works in New Zealand as well. Cool. Um, finding accommodation was easy. Um, like I just would Google the destination we're going to. Mm. Um, one thing I would consider is just booking a little bit in advance when you're staying in big towns. Um, I spent, we spent the last night in Rotorua and we were very limited with our accommodation options. Right. Yeah. 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 And no, that's because we booked advice. on the day. Just yeah. when you're staying in a big town, even, even a medium-sized town, book a little in advance. But... Another thing with accommodation, we were there in what they call shoulder season, so in between ski season and the middle of summer. Mm. So a lot of the smaller ski towns are just empty, so there's accommodation galore in those. Mm. And you can stay in a really flash place for really cheap. Cool. 
Yeah, but the town's like dead, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. Get a good disconnect. Yeah, bloody oath. Yeah. How'd you go about sort of permits and access to places? Was there much needed to source prior for that? Yeah, licensing and permits is a good one to touch on. So you need the fish and game license, which is I think about a three hundred about three hundred Aussie for the season. Um, and then you need the Taupo license, which I think is seventy or Taupo license, which I think is seventy dollars for the season. So you're looking, yeah, three hundred and seventy bucks, four hundred bucks something for the season. Um, which is good because if you go back again, it's absolutely worth it. And then even when you extrapolate that cost out over 18 days, it's still not much. No. It's just one of those things you pay for at the start and forget about by the yeah. time you catch your first fish. <laughs> and you, you, it's like Australia. You you pay for that service and you get it. Mm. There's so much information, so much angler access and management of fisheries and regulation. And when you pay the dock licence, for which is a topol licence, it goes towards dock, which is like... They manage everything, that backcountry huts and things like that. So it's completely fine. Yeah. Um, as for access, it's pretty well signed. Like the, you know, no trespassing, do not enter. Um, they've got the same riparian rights laws as us or very similar. So if, as long as you're in the river, you're not trespassing. And just show, show some courtesy. Don't walk right next to someone's house. Mm. And if someone asks you to leave, leave. It's that simple. Yeah. Google Maps is always your friend's. Friend on satellite mode for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no other permits or things we needed to pay for, I don't think so. Yeah. Did you go through any private property while you were there? Like get access to anywhere? No, we didn't do any door knocking. No. And it's one thing that I think in New Zealand is a bit more common than here. Um, yeah. Upon reflection, I think we probably could have, mm. but I didn't feel the need to have to do that. Yeah. But I feel like I could if I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. It's always daunting going up to a farmer's door. Because quite often yeah. you have to drive onto their property yeah. before you even get there. You've you got to remember it's their workplace too. So, you know, they might be busy doing something. That's right. <laughs> you're yeah. interrupting their work. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so going back to New Zealand, you will? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um. Like, as soon as I can get back there, basically. You just mentioned annual licence, so obviously you're hoping to get back there within, <laughs> within the licence. Well, I've got to get myself to the UK at some <laughs> stage. Oh, <laughs> We're not even talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's so much to do. Yeah, you've got to sample all of the North Island's delights. <laughs> <laughs> Damo, any further questions for... Uh, no, I think we've sort of touched on a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Uh, maybe one more. Sort of technique difference. Yeah, we didn't really touch on technique, did we? No, we haven't. Yeah, no. like we spoke a fair bit about depth and yeah, bigger water de- and depth stuff. Depth and bigger water and stuff is huge. Uh, Forbesy did it, but I didn't. But I learnt about it. The night fishing, yeah, incredibly, incredibly popular with like lumo flies, and literally fishing when it's pitch black. Great way to catch a trophy fish. Um, swinging streamers like that's done here, but probably not as commonly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fish over there eat those big. American-sized meat streamers would recommend that in canals. Very fun. Um, yeah, indicator nymphing, quite popular here, but it's not what you think about when you think about indicator nymphing here. You do need, like, two split shots and a double-beaded fly and be prepared for it to be launched into the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what other techniques in particular? Yeah, or maybe just 
an analogy between the water you're used to fishing here, like the Taggarty, in comparison to that daunting prospect of fishing such big water? Well, the the Taggarty pumps, right, at, like, start of the season. Mm. So if you can picture the Taggarty and then make it five times as wide. and then this. (laughs) Five times as wide. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. It's like just imagining the crowd's all naked. (laughs) (laughs) All our listeners are are naked right now. (laughs) Don't be nervous, Peter. (laughs) Get the words out. So it's, yeah. (laughs) It's like. It's it, it, yeah. Volume of water is huge, and it pumps, and it's it's big. Mm. Um, yeah, mending line, mending line's huge because you got complex currents and yeah. things like that. But then there's also just the old fashioned feed lane, like you put your fly in there and get a good drift, and yeah, that eat. You know, depends which river you're fishing. It changes river to river, and that's where yeah. it being an adaptable fisherman is good. You drifted the Goulburn just before. New Zealand, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yep. Do you think that uh, maybe anything you learnt in that day's drift regarding mending line, getting drag-free drifts, translated quite well to that trip to North Holland? Yeah. I am very grateful for James Norney for teaching me how to mend properly. Yeah. Like picking all your line up off the water and moving it. Not just these little little mends, little – nah, they don't work. Yeah. You need to get all – lift your rod right up. Get and to the move fly. it from left all the way to the right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And along that, is there much you did for practice or preparation before you went? Uh, longer leaders. Like I made a conscious effort to fish longer leaders, especially like I did that comp before too and casting big leaders and that was really good preparation. Mm. It, like it, it, it's not that hard to cast a long leader. No. You just got to get used to it. Mm. It's just different. It's really hard to cast a long leader at a short distance. Anyone will tell you that. Even the best caster in the world won't be able to cast a – really long leader, really short, because it mm. goes against the physics of fly casting. Yeah. But once you have a little bit of line out, it's fine. Mm. Yeah. I think Hayes, Peter Hayes, he signs off his emails with something like slack tippets or something. It's like, you know, because everyone's like the opposite of tight lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, just, you know, just that last little sign off, just a, a message, leaving someone with a message that it's slack tippets that catch fish. Yeah. You know, so a bit of... You don't necessarily need the whole leader to unroll in a straight line to, you know, make a good presentation because slack is going to give you that drag-free drift you're looking for. Spanish style dry fly, right? Like yeah. you know what? <laughs> yeah. You know I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> no, but like those that, those like competition techniques, yeah, like Spanish style dry fly. Google it. I'm not going to be very good explaining. It will be deadly in New Zealand. Yeah, just because you're getting the perfect drift. Yeah. Um, one thing that did amaze me is fishing a really clear water river on the helicopter trip was excellent because the fish would – you'd only have like three feet of dropper. They'd either come right up off the bottom to eat it. They'd come from the other side of the river to eat it. It was it just went against everything I knew about trout fishing. They'd eat a size six dry fly yeah. just like that. Like it cool. was crazy. Yeah. So you, you did the – we didn't really talk we about the helicopter. We didn't talk about the helicopter. Yeah. yeah. Do we um, want to talk about that? That was out of Taupo? Uh, yeah, out of Taupo. Yeah, yeah. with Helisica. Helisica. Awesome. Big shout out to them. Not in any way yep. endorsed at all, but super professional. Yes. We'll get them on board. We'll get them on board. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we'll get them on board. Um, super professional, um, but also very relaxed at the same time. They make it easy. Yep. They make it 
like you're getting in an Uber. Mm. But no, it's not an Uber. It's like a full valet service. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uber Black? Yeah, yeah, like uh, Uber Premium or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you rock up and they check you in and you're cracking jokes and then you're in the chopper and they drop you off and it's yeah. like, see you in two days and they come and get you and yeah. take you back. Did yeah. Forbes fit in the <laughs> chopper? In the back. <laughs> he looked so cramped in the back of the chopper. <laughs> Did you get any photos of that? No, no, no. But yeah, in the front he was fine. But yeah. Yeah, in the back he was quite cramped. Yeah, he got the pole position. I oh, so he did swap. Yeah, I, you, I gave him the front seat on the way back. Absolutely. Yeah, and the way there, I got the way there. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Absolutely, it is. That's how it should be. <laughs> yeah, um, um, good scenery, like a great way to look. If you went landscape. to New Zealand and didn't do a helicopter trip and you could afford it, mm. you would be just selling yourself short. Yeah, and it's affordable, I think, for what you're getting. Yeah. The helicopter cost us two thousand, or cost Andrew Fuller two thousand two hundred dollars. <laughs> cost us, cost the fly fisher two thousand two hundred dollars. Even if you were doing that on your own, splitting that between two, that's still eleven hundred bucks. Mm. Just save up a little bit longer yeah. and do it because the scenery is amazing. The access to the river you get is amazing. The experience of being in a chopper is amazing. It's just awesome. Mm. It's yeah, I can't explain what it is like. Yeah. Is that sort of your attraction to New Zealand? The bigger landscape, bigger mountains, trees, rivers? Yeah, like I say when I talk to anyone about fly fishing, probably sixty percent of it's the destination and mm. where you are. The journey. It's it's always about the journey. Where I mean, yeah, we're not without those sorts of landscapes in Australia, but there it does have a a, a bigger feeling of re- remoteness, I think. Like when you're you might only be 100 kilometres as the crow flies from a city, but when you look down and you're in a valley, there just seems like so much that there's nothing there. There's nothing. Like the, there might be a hut sort of yeah, every, that's, every 50 kilometres squared, but that's about it. That's what I like about it. You fly into the middle of nowhere, but there's still a hut. Yeah. And a good hut. Like it, most of our huts you can't really stay in. Yeah. in Victoria, but these ones are awesome, maintained, everything you need. Yeah, there's enough hunters and fishermen and, you know, people that want to go bird watching to yeah. keep these huts yeah. ticking. They love their bird watching over there, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> and tramping. <laughs> you did a lot of bird watching. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I love my bird watching. Uh, that was when you were night fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forbes, he was night fishing and I was bird watching. <laughs> Um, so yeah, heli fishing. Uh, you that there's obviously a lot of good waters that you can heli into. Yes, to this one was one that was near the uh, Rangatiki. Yeah, there's like a neighbouring stream to that. Yeah. Um, and should I talk about the helicopter trip? Should I run through it? Yeah. Yeah. Tell sure. Us. Tell okay. Us start to finish. Yeah. Start to finish. So we flew. We drove. We stayed in Taupo the night before. Drove to Halley Seekers base, which is on Poronui Station. Got there at about 8.30 in the morning. Um, jumped in the chopper. Like 15-minute flight. Super good. Mm. Like it's quick, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Like right. People are like, oh, you don't want to just go straight up and straight down. But helicopters travel fast. You mm. don't want to be wasting time in the chopper. Mm. It's like a flight. You don't want a flight to go for a long time. Mm. Um, so landed. Fished about six to seven kilometres up a river in one day, which was the most probably one of the most gruelling day hikes i've ever done like be prepared to get wet 
and climb up small cliff faces and you know it it's not to be underestimated the yeah. amount of you can heli and just fish where the chopper drops you off and have that experience and still get everything but yeah what you guys did is next level it's heli. next level yeah so we fished from one hut to another hut and decided to do the walk in one day mm. which is awesome um we got great fishing on the way up but by the end of it and one of the boys from one of the tackle shops over there actually said to us the best fishing was around the huts and mm. that's all we found out the fishing yeah. around the huts is fantastic yeah um yeah so then spent two nights at the hut, second hut we made it to so we got dropped in one made it to that second hut spent two nights there one of the da- half days just relaxing just recovering drying everything out and um and then the most fantastic evening rises around the huts and there's always little creeks and stuff to uh, explore up the side and then yeah two nights later two days later Halley Seeker come back and pick us up right on time. Wow. It's perfect. Yeah. Fly out. You didn't have to radio in or anything? No, nothing. You, it is required to take an EPIRB yeah. and Forbesy had an inreach, which is really useful because if you do need to message them to get out early, yeah, they can do it and it's super easy. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that inreach for safety over there is essential, I think, oh, in Australia too. Yeah. They're and so they're good. Fairly inexpensive for what they can do. For what they can do, they, mm. they yeah, I think they're really cheap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. Um, and that that terrain, that water that you were fishing there, was it quite different to the rest of your experience through the, through the North Island? Yeah, that, that's back country, right? So proper. Just, yeah, trying to sort of point out the difference between. Yeah, that. it's quite back country, like middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's not. It, it's quite remote. Mm. Yeah, um, clear water, the clearest water. Like, it's the sort of water you look in, you step in it, and then all of a sudden it's, like, mm. way deeper than you were expected. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, quite bouldery. Not super big boulders, but the riverbed was probably the same. Um, but, yeah, just the clarity of the water was incredible. Probably different in the sense that, like, one side of the river will be cliff and then the other side will be, like, a more shallow embankment, Yeah, which does make parts impassable, so you do have to swim or mm. climb. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, but it was probably that, like, we did it both with probably 10 plus kilo packs on, but if we were just doing a day's fishing on those rivers, they'd probably be the easiest. But when you're trying to make tracks to get to a hut in a day, it's pretty demanding. Yeah. Taking a load as well as, yeah, being in that sort of terrain is hard going. Yeah, absolutely. I'm it is. still feeling punished from Nick Raygart, my trip to Fiordland. That sounded no, crazy. Though. That's the <laughs> next level on this. Yeah, with those pack rafts. Oh, my God. Brutal. Yeah, th- there's always more. It's always... <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'd love to do it again, though, Nick. You can, you <laughs> yeah. can always get more extreme. I'll come too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I love about it, and I love about New Zealand. There's always something more extreme to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that... Donging of on, on the three o'clock. Three o'clock means we have to get to the post office, so we might wrap this one off. Yeah. Um, thanks, Peter. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. Glad you had a good time, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's good to have you back. Yeah. We and I, you. I would like to say thanks again at the end to everyone that helped out, whether it be the guys in the tackle shops in New Zealand, Manic, the boys at Manic, uh, Peter Julian was really helpful before, um, the boys in the shop. I think, yeah, like we have such a big network here at the shop and I'm so grateful that we can pass that on to our customers as well. Mm. It's a resource that anyone who's connected with the fly fisher can access. Well said, mate. Beautiful. Lovely. All right. See you next time, guys. Catch you, mate.